You're listening to highlights from the Creative Processes interview with Professor Anna Abraham, who studies the psychological and neurophysiological basis of creativity and other aspects of the human imagination. One needs to be able to stand before one can walk. But once walking becomes a virtually effortless capacity, we are able to run, leap, and dance, traversing physical space. Fantastic feats of physical prowess are only possible following the development of a good sense of balance in early childhood. Acquiring a well-functioning system of balance, then, provides the necessary physiological scaffolding that allows us to push and perturb the limits of the balance system. Stability emerges from instability, and from that stability emerges the capacity to engage functionally in designed or engineered temporary instability. So the capacities we acquire for a given purpose are utilized beyond their original context in novel ways. This manner of functional exaptation is a useful way to think about the imagination. Our capacity to imagine is the means by which we can bring images and ideas to mind in the absence of external input. Implicit within this action is the ability to, one, invoke, construct, and integrate concrete and abstract ideations, two, draw on knowledge reserves that we acquire through life experience for the same, and three, distance one's focus from the pressures of the current context. The last enables us to move beyond the confines of a reactive space to that of a proactive realm. Engaging beyond the limits of the active present and the ability to detach oneself from the immediacy of the now enable a wide range of corollaries, ranging from the predictable to the fantastical, from the stable to the precarious. I can imagine my impressions and experiences of persons, objects, and events from seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, years, and decades ago. Roaming the retrospective spaces of what was frees me to explore prospective spaces of what can be seconds later, minutes later, hours later, and so on, as well as adjoining temporal possibility spaces of what might have been. Contemplating hypotheticals and higher-order natural representations opens up the exploration of atemporal spaces of what could be and what if beyond one's own reality. The fidelity of my imaginings to any given reality can range from low to high, depending on the level of accuracy, abstraction, and richness of the experience. My imaginings can vary enormously in their manifestation by being sparse, unimodal, and one-dimensional in some contexts, and rich, cross-modal, and multidimensional in others. Regardless of how transitory or enduring the imaginings, they can evoke emotional responses, action tendencies, and conceptual insights, which are instantiated in the present, in the here and the now. We are thus brought full circle. The point of departure begins with distancing from the present. And the point of arrival in the canvas of the imagination can extend in any direction or to any extent and even right back to and encroaching on the present. Metaphors are a useful semantic tool to wield in order to grasp, represent, and communicate ideas about complex phenomena. And there can scarcely be any doubt that our understanding of a construct as complex as the imagination would be aided by the same. So which metaphor would fit in this context? An apt one to apply may be that of water, owing to the somewhat uncanny similarities between the features, forms, and forces of the human imagination and the properties of water. Imagination can manifest in widely different forms, from the tangible to the intangible. Its workings range from calm and predictable to volatile and unpredictable. 
It is a fundamental part of our physiological makeup, permeating our very being, and it is essential to our mental life. It is nourishing and constructive. It can also be overwhelming and disruptive. It is quiet. It is dogged. It shapes. It wheels. It fits. It flows. It pushes against fault lines. It breaks away. It lacks definition, yet it is formidable. This is what we have been granted as a species, a true force of nature within ourselves, the force of imagination. I love that metaphor and I love water. I don't know if you know this about me. I'm a painter and my ongoing series is called Memory of Water and how water is a mirror that invites us to dream. And I always find that it's a beautiful metaphor for creative endeavor. And what you shared opened up so many questions. You identify that the imagination helps us endure our present, also calls back to the past as a possible purpose of the imagination to imagine our possible end. We go through many endings in these stories we tell ourselves, and it's hard for us to accept our ending. And so maybe it's one way of preparing ourselves for that. Absolutely. I agree. It's there to help us process what we're experiencing. We're not bound by the present. And so it's an enormous gift we have to keep revisiting what we've been through, what's possible. And by revisiting it, we change our memories. We change how things were and so on. And we build up our strength and reserve sometimes when things go well. And we can be negatively affected, of course, if we fixate on something that is not quite so good for us to be fixating on. And what are your feelings about the concept of genius? What would you like to add to that term? And do you feel it's detrimental for us to think in those terms? I don't. Yeah. I mean, the word genius can mean quite different things to people. If I would go with the sort of perhaps not a very controversial definition. It would be looking at people who've accomplished something that seems well beyond what most people at that either age group or in that field and so on would do. So it goes well, well, well beyond what is standard. And so you're looking at the achievements of somebody, what they've displayed in terms of their creative prowess or the products that they've created. I don't think there's any problem with that at all. I think if we ignore that creativity can manifest in very different ways, and some people, of course, have really recognizable talent from a very young age. So, And yes, you would say that there's something exceedingly unusual about five-year-old Mozart composing a piece. Like that's it's, it's Of course, people would see that as a genius thing, because for his age group, he's doing something that is pretty much unprecedented. But I think it's only really an issue if we think that is the only way to be created, which tends sometimes to be this glorifying of one particular way of being creative at the expense of others. And I think what is worrisome to me about that is all of the things that we're ignoring in this race to find the best, the most, you know, the always we're looking for these pinnacle things, which is fantastic. But the second best idea, the third best idea you have is also pretty good, perhaps, you know, and also extremely valuable. A person who first produces that art in their 70s, like Grandma Moses did, and went on to find great acclaim, is also something to appreciate. And as long as some of the objects being created or the works that we are looking at fill us with awe and wonder and inspiration, it really should matter who is creating them, but how old the person is, what gender. It's almost like if we look to label in specific ways, those labels in and of themselves are not necessarily are problematic. It's the way people use them and all the other things they ignore that don't fit into that label. That is the problem. And then if they start to equate any ability that you have to be creative with only genius, then you're kind of cutting out 98% of the world or more. And so that doesn't seem from a scientific standpoint or right from a moral standpoint. So 
that will be my issue with the word genius. But those terms exist for a reason. We can't get rid of them. And the better way to try and think of is, well, that's not the only thing to creativity. There are many routes to Rome, as they say. Yes. So you think about the future and the kind of world we're leaving the next generation and you reflect on the importance of the arts and creativity. What would you like young people to know, preserve and remember? Beautiful question. I would like people to know that everyone is creative because it's really a fundamental drive that we have. Some people just express it more than others and some people are more in tune with it than others. But just because you're not entirely aware of what it is or that you might have it or recognize it in yourself. It doesn't mean it's not there. That's the first thing I would want people to know. Secondly, I would like young people to think about it more as they would something like physical fitness, which, you know, until the 80s was also seen as something quite exclusive. Not everybody knew anything. Nobody really knew anything about fitness before TVs became available in people's houses. TV programs were there to talk about physical fitness. Before that, it was really the domain of just a few people who had opportunity to go to ridiculously expensive clubs or, but nobody really had the means or the, the knowledge. And it's only when it sort of opened up with, I don't know, aerobics programs and things like that, that people started to become aware of that it's within their grasp. They can do things by themselves. They can go for, they can actually try to get some control over the way their bodies are, are physically developing and not just developing, but just maintaining and toning them. And now if you fast forward now, no one would think that the, this was such a recent thing, actually, but because there are so many, whatever you call it, gyms, studios, everything everywhere, and everyone has a sense of what physical fitness is, even if you choose not to do anything about it, you at least know there's not a lack of, it's not because of a lack of awareness. Creativity is nowhere near that awareness about creativity is nowhere near that kind of level that we have for physical fitness. And I would think it's absolutely as important as physical, intellectual, social fitness that we have. We take care of ourselves. We take care of our, we take care of our social lives. We hang out with friends. We do a lot to take care of ourselves. Partly what my plea would be that people start to recognize that there is this thing in them that only, that is really quite unique because it's theirs. And it's a process to identify something that they like to do or they find interesting or they are curious about and pursue it as a real practice and devote just a little time regularly. It could be every day. It could be every two days to it, just a little bit like you would to your physical fitness and keep it to yourself. It's not to share. It's not to do anything because if you are unaware, the worst thing to do is to share things because it can be snuffed out immediately, you know, but once you start to see, surprise yourself with what you create, you start to develop the strength in order to feel a little more like that. You have the confidence at least to try and do it more and more. And then you can expand that a little bit, but the main thing I would say is to A, recognize that you have it, then figure out what it is that interests you specifically. It could be writing, it could be, I don't know, cooking, it could be anything really, but just to push that and be really, really self-reflective about your process. That is the main thing. Think, look, study yourself, study your own mind, because there lies all of the promise that you will ever need to do anything with it. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these highlights. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.